All right, I want to take a moment to thank our presenting partners, the Utah Department of Public Safety, Secuvant, the Utah Department of Technology Services, and the Utah Attorney General's Office. Every week on this program, these terrific partners provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. Valcom gets IT right. Whether your business is a startup or an enterprise, the Valcom team has the experience and the tools to make you more effective at what you do. Valcom will be more than just your IT reseller. They'll become an extension of your IT team. Find out more at vlcmtech.com. That's vlcmtech.com. Secuvant is a leading network security company specializing in creative, customized solutions that meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. They offer a wide range of services from managed security and virtual CISO consulting to cyber risk advisory and data breach recovery assistance. No matter what your specific security requirements may be, or what your comfort level with IT is in general, Secuvant will map your cybersecurity program to the business areas that are relevant to you, including brand and reputation, legal liability, intellectual property, business disruption, and so much more. For more information, call 1-855-SECUVANT or visit secuvant.com. That's S-E-C-U-V-A-N-T.com. The cyber breach at FedEx cost the company $300 million, all because FedEx was not insured for cyber breach losses. Could your business withstand a $300 million cyber loss? I'm guessing the answer is no. Over half a million small to medium-sized businesses will close their doors as the result of a cyber event. So what should you do to protect your business? Talk to the cyber liability professionals at Hayes Companies. Policy placement is only one step in an overall risk management approach to manage your firm's cyber liability exposure. At Hayes Companies, they design a program specifically for you, customized to your business priorities. For more information, call 801-580-5501 or visit HayesCompanies.com. That's 801-580-5501 or HayesCompanies.com, H-A-Y-S Companies.com. All right, welcome to the Cyber24 podcast. A very, very interesting show coming up today, especially this time of year. I think this is the time of year when everyone, if you're like me, you're getting those tax forms, you're starting to figure out how you're going to process your own paperwork. Get all that tax work in, get square with the IRS. And what you may not be thinking about is how that makes you a target for scammers or people who want to steal your data or people who want to trick your employer into giving away your data. All kinds of cybersecurity issues that can pop up around tax time. We're going to talk about those today. A little bit later in the show, we're also going to talk about another danger. It's, it's February. It's sweeps month for TV and radio, so everyone's trying to scare you. We might as well jump on the bandwagon as well. Let's talk about, we'll talk about skimmers, uh, things that, uh, these devices that are being used to steal your data uh, basically today we're just going to scare you into all kinds of things that can go wrong. I guess that's going to be our purpose today. Uh, our guest today, uh, Sergeant Jeff Plank from the Department of Public Safety here in Utah. I've uh, been a frequent guest on the show. Glad to have him. And also joining us today for the first time, Vince Kenny, who is a computer scientist uh, with the FBI. He'll be along to, uh, to weigh in on these things as well. So first today we want to talk about... Uh, 
taxes, filing your taxes and how that makes you a little bit vulnerable. First of all, Sergeant Plank, thanks for being here. Appreciate Absolutely. it. And, and Vince, thanks for being here as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right. So this time of year, all this data coming around, people continue to get envelopes with uh, W-2 information and tax information. And some of it's got your social security and some of it's got your, you know, how much money you made at a particular institution, all these types of things. Is it right to think that you see an increase in scam attempts as people get ready to file their taxes this time of year? Oh, definitely. You know, there's a short window right now for uh, grabbing someone's driver's license or social security number and a name to then file, uh, you know, a fraudulent uh, tax return. And, you know, what's funny is that's all you really need is those three, those three things. You don't really need to know how much that particular person makes. You just invent whatever numbers you want, and you, in, you basically will – um, say, hey, this is how much I want to get back from this fraudulent return as well. Because the way that I understand it, the IRS, IRS doesn't even check to see if that's what you're making until late, late March. So there's that short window between you submitting a fraudulent tax return and the IRS kind of corroborating that information with your employer. It sounds to me like this is another instance then where um, the bad guys – and have, have figured out the technology and have figured out how to game the system, knowing full well that government will not catch up to that learning curve quickly enough. And by the time they do, they can be on to the next thing as well. Is that is that right? Absolutely. Man. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some of the specific things we need to, to look out for. Uh, hackers trying to impersonate the IRS or state tax officials. How do they go about doing that? I don't see a lot of hackers impersonating IRS. Um, those are maybe more identity thieves. Um, there was a, a recent article about um, identity thieves who had obtained driver's licenses, social security numbers, and things like that, and then filed false returns uh, using TurboTax. Um, so they didn't. It wasn't a data breach by TurboTax, but they they definitely used the information to then file fraudulent uh, claims. They were state tax returns. And so I think, I don't know if you remember this, I think it was 2016 possibly, um, TurboTax had to essentially put a halt on all state tax returns until they, they, they got to the until bottom. they could sort it they out. They got to the bottom of things, yeah. So it's not so much people that, that cyber criminals are trying to impersonate the actual taxing entity. That, that surprises me. You think they might be in a position where they would want to reach out and say, hey, you want to get, I, I need this information in order to process your taxes from, from uh, me being, you know, pretending to be the state or the federal government to try to trick someone into sending that information. But you're saying that's not, not what happens. Yeah. So typically hackers are, are um, trying to get the data, steal the data in a data breach of, uh, or whatnot. And then they're selling it online for, you know, a buck or two for, for different types of uh, identification. That's well, amazing that that's, that's really the going rate, a buck or two. Yeah, that that's what someone's personal data yeah. is worth. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. Uh, so do they target – are cyber criminals targeting tax professionals then? Are, are they uh, – how, how would they go after – what types of vulnerabilities are there if you're working with, you know, say, H&R Block or TurboTax? You, you mentioned a little bit about some of the issues they've had in the past. Um, uh, any, any of these tax preparation services, what are the vulnerabilities that are being exploited there? Yeah, so I, I also read an article recently where – the IRS was warning these tax preparation type sites um, of different cyber attacks that they should be aware of. Some of them are uh, remote desktop um, protocol, which is basically allowing someone to access your computer yeah. um, remotely over the internet. Um, 
there was a story that said that hackers had been accessing some tax preparers' um, computers, changing information, you know, entering their own information so that they themselves would get the return and not not the actual taxpayer. Yeah. It seems to me that a lot of the issues can pop up just in sort of those uh, trying to be a good guy instances, right? That, hey, I know the normal standard procedure is X, but, hey, I, I didn't get that or somehow I lost that or, hey, I need this info. Can you send it to me? And if you can get someone, whether it's a tax professional or I, I would think maybe your uh, HR professionals at companies could be susceptible to this, um, do do they get cyber criminals trying to get data by requesting W-2 forms or other types of information? Is, is that something to be on the lookout right for right now? Definitely. I think in a previous episode, we talked about the business email compromise where the CEO of a company is impersonated. And they do that either through actually accessing the CEO's internet through a brute force attempt. Um, you know, they get into their email and actually send the email, or they simply spoof the email and, and then request like a wire transfer be, be made in, in the business or the CEO's name. Well, similarly, in the, the tax realm, the same scam applies, but instead of asking for an employee or an accountant or whoever, to send a wire transfer, they're asking the HR department to send a list or send all of the um, the W-2s associated with the company. Yeah. So good counsel to uh, any business leader listening to this right now is now is not the time to do the good guy thing. Now is the time to stick to the standard procedures and have, have a, a path in place where someone can access through the right channels to get that information, but certainly not to do it just at, at a quick email request or a quick text message yeah. request. Yeah, also, you know, a means of verifying who's actually requesting this information. If you just get a random email that seems kind of out of the blue, call them up. Uh, try and actually get another source of verifying that this person actually needs this information. Yeah. Uh, companies that use two-step verification for other things like their email access and such should keep that in mind then when they're maybe getting a one-off request about some you know, personal information for an employee or even a full list of it to say, hey, that's great that I got this email about it from what appears to be Bob in, a, in, in accounting or Bob in sales. I need to go make sure that that really came from Bob before I go. Uh, good info there. How about phishing schemes? Uh, they Are they trying to tie people into communicating with, with tax services or, or service providers? I'm just thinking that, you know, people... You, uh, the average person doesn't do their taxes every month. And so they may have someone who's their tax guy, but they only really interact with that person once a year or, uh, you know, this very limited window. Um, does that open up some vulnerabilities there where suddenly you're communicating with someone who you expect to talk to a little bit uh, regularly for maybe a week or two, and then they're out of your life again until next year? Yeah, I would, I mean, they use, hackers will use phishing uh, attempts for, for almost everything. It's just a means for them to gain credentials or to install some type of malware on your computer. So they'll use that as just a vehicle to to obtain any information that they want. So definitely be be looking out for any type of phishing emails um, that may want you to enter, you know, credentials. Yeah. Or click on a link for that matter. Yeah. This is the first tax season following the Equifax data breach. So a lot of folks have said, get your taxes done quickly, early, get them done the right way, of course, but get them in uh, the sooner the better. So, uh, hey, with tax season upon us, that's uh, all, all good information. Uh, we've got a, a different topic to, 
to jump in on right after the break. We're going to talk about skimmers and the way that some people are using those. First of all, we'll talk about what they are, but we're going to talk about ways those are being used uh, to steal data and eventually uh, steal money from people. That's coming up right after the break. Vince Kenny, computer scientist with the FBI and Sergeant Jeff Plank for the Department of Public Safety uh, are our guests. Back with more right after this. DigiCert is a leading provider of scalable security solutions for a connected world. The most innovative companies, including the Global 2000, choose DigiCert for its expertise in identity and encryption for web servers and Internet of Things devices. DigiCert supports SSL and TLS and other digital certificates for PKI deployments at any scale through its certificate lifestyle management platform, Cert Central. The company has been recognized with dozens of awards for its enterprise-grade management platform, fast and knowledgeable customer support, and market-leading growth. For the latest DigiCert news and updates, visit digicert.com or follow at DigiCert on Twitter. That's D-I-G-I-C-E-R-T, digicert.com. Okay, so you need to address your organization's cybersecurity challenges, but you aren't quite ready to hire someone full-time. So have you considered outsourcing your cyber risk management? Ide Bailey's Virtual Information Security Officer will partner with you to defend your organization against cyber threats at a fraction of the cost of bringing someone on full-time. A Virtual Information Security Officer from Ide Bailey will work with your business year-round, testing your systems, educating your team, and managing your organization's risk. For more information, go to eidbailey.com slash virtual. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash virtual. Take control of your organization's cybersecurity now at eidbailey.com slash virtual. So your employee who's worked for you since day one opened an email attachment that wasn't safe, and suddenly your IT department is working overtime to get everything back on track. Sadly, most ransomware attacks are delivered by either spear phishing, spam, or socially engineered campaigns open from inside your organization. Your data is only as secure as your weakest link and your largest attack surface happens to be your end users. To solve the problem, you need Sophos Fish Threat, an easy to use customizable phishing attack simulator with training for your end users. Fish Threat allows you to simulate phishing campaigns, push trainings, set up email reminders, and quiz your end users, all while your IT department receives top-notch reporting to give you insight into individual, departmental, and company-wide performance ratings. So let Valcom and Sophos help you create a culture of careful clicking with Sophos Fish Threat. Visit vlcmtech.com slash Sophos. That's vlcmtech.com slash S-O-P-H-O-S to learn more and request a free trial. All right, we're back on the Cyber 24 podcast. Vince Kenny from the FBI and Sergeant Jeff Plank from the Utah Department of Public Safety are our guests. We talked about tax fraud in the first segment. Now we're going to get down to a topic that I think most people have probably heard something about, even if they don't know much about them. These are skimmers. And they maybe think of, when I think skimmers, first thing I think about is swiping my credit card at a gas pump. So let's start with some of the basics. What are skimmers? Is that all they are or are they more than that? Yeah, a skimmer is basically a device that is placed on either an ATM or a gas pump that essentially reads and records the data that's held on the mag stripe of that card. Um, you know, hotels will have 
similar type skimmers. I mean, they're not really called skimmers in a hotel, right? But they card readers. It's yeah. a card reader. Yeah. Yeah. So it's essentially this is could, just the thing you stick the card in and pull it out fast, and yeah. and that's what's reading. And there are legitimate purposes for card readers. You can buy them on the internet for you know thirty or forty dollars. But what what the the bad guys are doing is they're taking these card readers apart just taking out the, the little chip and the guts inside, and then they're fashioning some type of, of device that can be either overlaid on a ATM or inserted um, within a gas pump itself. Um, also, a lot of uh, people at restaurants, uh, waitresses or waiters, or even people at fast food restaurants at the, at the drive-thru could have one of these uh, skimmers in their pocket, a card reader in their pocket, and they can quickly uh, skim a card, and it would record the data. And then later, this is the hard part, is uh, cloning credit cards and then cashing out um, with that data that you have. They've got to be pretty good at making these then because it would seem that, you know, you go to a, a gas pump or an ATM, and I think we're all relatively familiar at this point with put the card in and pull it out. I mean, this is something we've been doing now for quite some time that – if if there's any looseness there or something that you would feel it. So how how sophisticated are these devices that they're essentially just, you know, I'm, I'm picturing someone making it in his, his garage. Well, some of these are very, very sophisticated. And in fact, actually, a lot of ways that they will, will try and embed this uh, skimmer is they will try to remove uh, a piece uh, or, or some sort of metal plating that's holding the original uh, credit card reading device on there and then overlay it on top of that and then shut the metal device that's that's keeping it there so that if you shake it or you move it or anything like that, it seems legitimate and, and uh, you won't be able to identify if it's a skimmer or not. How do they get them in place? I mean, it seems to me that we, when you talk about something like the dark web and people are you know, they're, they're impossible to track or, or anything like that. But these folks have to physically go and put something in place and then physically go and pick it back up. Generally, at, you're talking about something that almost always would have a surveillance camera on it, um, you know, an ATM or, or, or you know, a gas station pump. Um, so <laughs> how, do they, how do they get away with it, I guess? Yeah, they, they get real creative. Uh, we see devices placed on, on ATM with, with double-sided tape. That's, that's good enough to hold for a day or two. Uh, usually when we know about them, it's because they've fallen off. But typically they'll be placed at night when maybe the surveillance camera, I mean, it's, it's running, but nobody's really reviewing the surveillance video that happens, you know, in the middle of the night. So they'll, they'll run up, maybe block the camera with their hand real quick, or they'll have dark sunglasses on and a hoodie. They'll place the, the skimmer on, uh, onto the ATM, and then they'll leave. And they'll come back the next day or two days. Uh, depending on the type of skimmer, there's technology out there that that would allow someone to leave that skimmer on um, for months at a time and just come back and retrieve the data via Bluetooth. And we can talk about that maybe. Yeah, a little bit more. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit more. So it's not always a matter of just having to physically go get the device back. You can sort of just yeah, be within 15 yeah. feet of it and pick it up that way. Um, that's that's pretty ingenious. That that has to make the job that much more difficult. Yeah, no, it, it definitely makes things a lot more difficult, especially if we're relying on trying to, you know, if we identify that there's a skimmer or, or we're trying to look after the fact, if somebody's not even going up to collect that data, they're not going to have any kind of record of, of them being on camera or anything like that. They were able to go from the parking lot across the street and, and collect the data from there. There have to be instances where you figured out that there's a skimmer there. Do you 
do a stakeout and get, catch the guy when he come back to get it? Is that sort of the, the way that works? Absolutely. A couple of years ago, we had a great case. Um, I believe it was a local police department had identified that there was a Skirmana machine. They contacted the FBI. We went out and did surveillance. We had the DPS helicopter on standby, and we watched it right around closing time. For some reason, we had some in, some intel that said, hey, this guy was going to be removing the skimmer, you know, after the bank closed. And sure enough, uh, we watched a guy um, parked near the ATM. It got out, grabbed the skimmer off the machine, got in the car, and headed south. And we followed him all the way to Nephi before we stopped him. We kind of wanted to make sure that we knew where he was going. Maybe he would go back to hotel room so that we could maybe, you know, find more equipment there, get more information. But it looked like he might have been leaving the state, so we, we ended up stopping him in Nephi. Yeah. Well, he had a ways to go in Nephi. Yeah. I mean, if he's heading south from Nephi, you guys had another two and a half hours before he was going. That's right. And did you ever find out where he was heading? Do you recall? Yeah, the investigation is actually still kind of ongoing. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, how prevalent are these in Utah? Do you see them sort of every so often? Um, how prevalent are they? Yeah, we see these all the time. Not so much the, the skimmer itself, but like I said, the placing the skimmer on an ATM or in a gas pump, that's, that's the compromise. It's the cash out that we see regularly. So once the data has been pulled off the skimmer, it now needs to be recorded or written onto other cards, bogus credit cards, um, simple, you know, cards that you can buy on Amazon for, for two cents. You know, anything with a mag stripe, you can basically now write the information onto this card, which is then either used, you know, online or at other gas pumps um, or on official looking credit cards. These credit cards are given out to other um, fraud rings to then run around the country and try and spend the money. That's the hard part is the cash out. Yeah. And, you know, companies uh, like Visa and all these different major credit cards have tried to thwart some of this by using the chips so that you insert it. Yeah. And that's an encrypted way to transfer your card information. But a lot of times they'll, so if you go up to an ATM, they will, will take photos and they'll have a camera that's actually placed above to see what your pin is. They might even catch your card as you pull it out of your, your wallet and then stick it in the, the ATM machine. So uh, a lot of times uh, it, it's just it's hard to try and uh, identify some of these folks. So what should people be on the lookout for then when they're going to use an ATM or a gas pump? Is there something something they can do to say, all right, I, f- I feel like I've at least done some level of due diligence here? Sure. So at a gas station, um, again, because uh, it's really easy to get a key to uh, pop open these... these um, Just these, the general framework of the pump, right? Exactly. Since it's so easy to get these keys and you can open them up, Uh, a lot of the skimmers are being placed internally. So what you want to look for there is maybe broken seals because wiggling the the, the card reader is probably not going to help out because the skimmer is actually on the inside. So looking for a broken seal where? On on the lock itself or? Around the seam of the door. Okay. So, you know, those are maintained and they have to be opened. And when they're maintained and checked, always a new seal is put on there. Now the bad guys have figured this out and they've actually – you know, stolen seals. And so best thing to do is to, to find a pump, especially if it's if it's at night, find a pump near the front doors, somewhere where it's maybe lit up a bit better. Uh, the bad guys will find the best pump in the lot to, to install the skimmer. It's amazing. Uh, anything about skimmers that, uh, that I should ask you that I'm not thinking to ask you right now? Is there something about this that just 
a word of warning or, or any advice you would have uh, for people looking out for these? I think um, Vince touched on it a little bit. He mentioned that uh, on ATM skimming, um, because it's hard to get inside an ATM. Yeah. I mean, they typically never, I hope so. never get inside, <laughs> although we could talk about a story where they did get inside. Yeah, I'd love to. Let's, let's talk about that. How do you? But um, before they get inside the skimmer, they'll, on an ATM, they're always, it's always usually an overlay. And so if, um, if you're using a debit card, they need to grab the PIN number. So they will install a, a separate camera system above the keypad. So if you're not covering the PIN, the keypad, excuse me, with your hand, you're giving up possibly your PIN number. And you really don't want the bad guys using your PIN number um, because that's cash out of your account. It's not right. really protected like a credit Different card a credit is. Card, yeah. yeah. That's that's uh, that's crazy. So uh, how are how are they getting into eight, like? So you say they can get into ATMs even just re- very recent. Trend. I mean, don't, don't, let's not give people a play by play instruction of how to break into an ATM. But so very very recent. Can do that off air and just yeah. give. Yeah. <laughs> very recent trend. Uh, it's not really skimming at all, but it's called jackpotting. And we we had an instance here in Utah, Colorado, and Wyoming where several individuals not from our country actually were able to open an ATM or several of, several of them and installed some malware. And once they had the malware installed, they s- essentially sent a code uh, to the ATM to say, hey, dispense everything you got. Vince might be able to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, it's really fascinating because it just takes the level of sophistication up another level where most of the time when you think of people skimming, they just slap a skimmer on there and they take the cards. But these individuals It seems kind of blue collar. Yeah, it seems like you can get, you know, some dummy to go and do that job for you. But these uh, these individuals, they were actually able to, like Jeff was saying, open up the machine, implant some some malware in the machine, and then have the machine uh, dispense cash right then and there. Have banks or financial institutions or even you know gas stations in those cases have they increased the the amount of regular checks they do i mean i would think at a gas station you might say all right part of your deal if you're you're the the clerk who's working here is you go twice a day and go look at the pumps you know as you're starting your shift and as you're ending your shift yes. look at the pumps to see if anything looks out of order there are some absolute easy things that can be done owners of gas stations can actually require or or request and and buy new locks um, and not use the standard locks that come with the, you know, those particular uh, yeah. pumps. Uh, they can go out and and check regularly the inside of their 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 pumps to see if there are skimmers installed yeah. inside. Definitely things that they can do. As as much as technology advances and things get easier and easier, and we're living in a day where you can just sort of talk to a great disembodied robot voice in your house and ask it what the weather is or whatever, and still there's tech crime that involves sort of picking a lock and putting something in place to come back. Very, very interesting information. Uh, Vince Kenny, computer scientist with the FBI and Sergeant Jeff Plank from the Department of Public Safety here in Utah. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Thank yeah, you. Sure, it was great. All right, before we go, I want to thank our presenting partners, Secuvant, the Utah Department of Public Safety, the Utah Department of Technology Services, and the Utah Attorney General's Office. We also want to thank our distribution partners at utahpolicy.com for helping spread the word. We recorded today's episode at the University of Utah's Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute. They're helping Utahns make informed decisions. We remind you to visit our website at cyber24.us. That's cyber, the number two, the number four, dot us. 
where you can find more episodes of this podcast as well as some other helpful information. You can follow us on Facebook by searching Cyber24. We hope you'll follow us on Twitter as well, at Cyber24 underscore. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you may be listening to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors, Valcom, Digicert, Hayes Companies, and Ide Bailey. Please support them the way they support our podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.